When St. Augustine of Hippo was a boy, he had a close brush with baptism. He remembers having a dangerously high fever and a sudden pressure on his chest. His mother, Monica, took no chances and arranged to get him baptized right away. But then young Augustine had a sudden recovery. I imagine a very disappointed priest packing up their emergency baptism kit of holy water and fragrant oil. The reason for putting off Augustine's baptism went like this. Many Christians in the fourth century believed that sins committed after baptism were far worse than sins committed before baptism. Young Augustine had a whole lifetime of sins ahead of him. These sins would be more severe if he committed them as a baptized person. Getting baptized as a child was like putting on shiny new shoes only to walk out into the rain and mud. Augustine even tells us that people in his society looked the other way when people sinned as long as they weren't baptized. When a young, unbaptized person got into trouble, they'd say to each other, let them be, let them do it, they're not baptized yet. The young Augustine probably thought it would be a lot easier to get through late boyhood, adolescence, and at least young adulthood if he knew he could have his fun and just get baptized when it was over. So the goal for many early Christians was to put off baptism until you were pretty sure that you could live without sin for the rest of your life. <laughs> I know of one second century text that took a more controversially liberal position. After baptism, it said you could sin one more time and then repent and still consider yourself saved. You may be relieved to know that Episcopalians aren't much into this approach. Our version of the baptismal liturgy leaves a lot of latitude for post-baptismal sin. In fact, the words of our baptismal covenant assume that we'll sin after baptism. The covenant asks only, will you persevere in resisting evil? And whenever you fall into sin, repent and return to the Lord. I repeat, whenever you fall into sin. The difference between life before baptism and life after baptism isn't the difference between sinning and not sinning. It's the difference between where we turn whenever we do sin. Do we distance ourselves and close ourselves off? Or do we come back home to our identity as God's beloved children? The early Christian belief that baptism was about washing off our sins and living sinlessly ever after made it very awkward to explain one of the most certain facts about the historical Jesus, that he himself was baptized. Why did Jesus get baptized if baptism was for sinners? As Christians became ever more insistent that Jesus had lived a completely sinless life, it became more and more difficult to explain why Jesus was baptized. Whoever wrote Mark's gospel had not gotten the memo that it was unsettling to group Jesus with repentant sinners. Mark tells us that John the baptizer offered a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Mark tells us that people came from all over the Judean countryside and from Jerusalem for John to baptize them while, it says, confessing their sins. Jesus is among these people. 
Mark also records the voice from heaven that speaks directly to Jesus and says, you are my beloved son, my son. With you, I am well pleased. Now today we read the story from Luke's gospel, but it preserves this story's essence from Mark. In Luke, Jesus' baptism is still a story about John the baptizer proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist tells people in Luke how to live after repentance, and you may remember his advice from one of our readings this Advent. Anyone with more coats and food than they need should share with others, and tax collectors and soldiers shouldn't extort or falsely accuse anyone. And then Luke tells us that Jesus was baptized with all these sinners. The voice of the Spirit that Luke records also says directly to Jesus, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. It's no surprise that in this story Luke sticks so closely to Mark. Luke's gospel loves the themes of repentance, forgiveness, and return. He presents the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep as stories about repentance and return to God. Only Luke's gospel includes the story of the prodigal son. Only Luke tells the story of the tax collector who calls himself a sinner, asks for mercy, and ends up justified. And only Luke's Jesus prays on the cross for God to forgive those crucifying him. Unlike Luke, the Gospels of Matthew and John have a bigger problem with the image of Jesus showing up for a baptism of repentance. In Matthew, John the Baptist resists baptizing Jesus, but Jesus convinces him by saying that he's only getting baptized, quote, to fulfill all righteousness, not to be forgiven. And in Matthew, the voice doesn't speak directly to Jesus. Instead, it tells everyone around him, this is my son, the beloved. In John's gospel, John the Baptist says he came baptizing to reveal to others that Jesus was God's chosen one, not to call for repentance. And in John's gospel, when the spirit descends like a dove, the voice doesn't tell Jesus or anyone else that Jesus is beloved. Instead, it tells John the Baptist that Jesus is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. But Luke's gospel gives us space to wonder some surprising things about Jesus. What was Jesus even doing, lining up to be baptized? Was he just there to take over John's business with a newer and better baptism? Or did he show up like all the other sinners? and find out that he was beloved after all. Luke's gospel isn't here to prove that Jesus was sin-free. It's here to show us that repentance was the path that showed Jesus who he really was, God's beloved, delightful child. Luke's gospel is here to show us a Christ who could welcome a criminal into paradise and freely forgive his own executioners even before his own perfect death. The story of Jesus' baptism shows up in all four Gospels. Matthew and John use it to prove something to others about Jesus' identity and divine status. But Luke simply accepts this story from Mark and presents us with a Christ who, for whatever reason, felt the draw of repentance who discovered that he was God's beloved child, 
and whose life culminated in the most generous offers of forgiveness imaginable. Jesus could offer astonishing, scandalous forgiveness because wherever he went and whatever he did between his birth, which we celebrated recently, and his baptism at the River Jordan, he returned home. Luke's Jesus didn't hack the system of divine justice by living and dying completely sin-free. Luke's Jesus freely extended radical compassion and mercy because he came fully home to his identity as God's beloved child.